Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Anne-Marie Lockhart. You're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. And um, I have a few announcements to make before we start today. It's February. Everybody's sick and cold, and um, you guys are getting snow all over the place here in the south. It's ridiculous. So, you know, I hate I hate February, but um, there are good things that are happening in February, and I do want to talk about those things. The first thing, uh, Vox Poetica contributor P.D. Lyons has a new project, um, his poetry project on YouTube, and what he's doing is he's asking people to read his poems on video and then um, shoot those over to him so he can post those and kind of get a different perspective on his work and share that with the world in a different way. Uh, I'm going to post that um, on the Facebook page, so you should all check that out. I'm going to post a link for that so you guys can get to that and see um, see what he's talking about. It's kind of cool. I'm going to do one, so I hope you all do one too. You can find some of his stuff at Box. I have published it before. He's been included in the anthology. He's been in the poem blog. And um, he's got... He has um, a website and some other publications. You can find a lot of his work at these. You can Google him and find it. So, you know, do that. And by all means, you know, check him out and help him with this project. Another project that I wanted to talk about, another Vox Poetica contributor, Jeanette Cheesem. She has a new um, a new publication called Jeanette Cheesem's Cavalcade of Stars. And it's very cool. She's highlighting different writers every week alternating boy-girl, so that's kind of fun. You get a different perspective every week almost automatically. And um, that that web address is http, da-da-da-da, cavalcadeofstars.wordpress.com. Um, you should check her out. It's very interesting, and you can submit. Um, she did send me that, but I don't think I have it up right now. I'm going to put a link to that submission page, too. She's taking submissions via email. Um, and it's just gotten started. There's already some really interesting stuff up there, so please do check that out, and I hope that you um, like it. Another thing I want to call your attention to quickly is um, Unbound Content, the book publishing side of Vox Poetica, has a new blog, and um, you should look at that because it's updated every day. Uh, You can find it at booksblog.unboundcontent.com and um, you get some news and some updates and some uh, links to some cool stuff there too. So check that out. Now, um, in reference to that, there's a new anthology release, uh, Vox Blood Contributor Series from 2010. So three different series anthologized in the collection called Love Be Right and that is available through CreateSpace. You can find links on the blog as well as on Facebook. and I have with me today a guest who's going to read one of his poems that appeared there. So that is um, Ray Sharp. Everyone say hi to Ray. Hi, Ray. Hi, Anne-Marie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Well, if you would please read to me uh, your poem from the, I think it was the um, the first series that's anthologized in the book, Aspects of the Elephant. Yeah, I, this one um, published last February, I think, right around Valentine's Day, and it's called Our Volition Was in Not Turning. Scraps of paper lifted on a careless wind, these are my verses tonight. You came to me so, the familiar face on the peeling wheat paste poster blown across the square, come alive at my feet, deft motion of fate's blind impulse. 
This wind was not of our doing. Our volition was in not turning, in being that shape in the flow. Take my hand, you said. Step with me into this landscape. Let us tumble like leaves. Let us curl like tendrilled smoke. It is the same with this poem. It found me on a windy night, and when I did not turn away, that was the beginning of love. Now, that was part of the uh, Contributor Series 4 aspect of the elephant, which was all about love, and we had a bunch of different perspectives on that covered there. And Yours was, uh, you know, as always, very unique in its perspective. And, I, you know, I've, having read your work for about a year and a half now, I think, um, you know, it's very wide-ranging. It's very across the board. You write about everything. Some of it's funny. Some of it's macabre. Some of it is um, disturbing. <laughs> some of it is sad. Every emotion. But there's always something interesting. And, and some of it is even a little arcane. But um, one of the things that I, I you know, you, you said landscape in there, and a lot of your stuff is nature-based. Why don't you talk a little bit about where your ideas come from in the things that you write, as far-reaching as they are. You know, I do write a lot about the natural world. I think most poets do or did it at some point, you know. Uh, certainly it's in the American tradition. It goes back to, you know, the transcendentalists and the 19th century poetry um, and back to the classics even. Funny, though, I just have odd images, and maybe it's not the, for the poet to give those images away because then the reader has those from then on. But in this poem, in the early part, I saw, you know, this is about the inception of love, about falling in love, and I saw it as like someone in a desolate square, in a let's say, uh, in a park, uh, in a black and white movie, maybe Italian subtitles, like The Bicycle Thief, and mm -hmm. this piece of paper blowing across the land, and when it hits that person, it like sticks to them, and they pick it up to look at that. So that's kind of the happenstance way that that love could find someone but then when i when it says take my hand you said let us or step with me into this landscape um it, i had a more technicolor scene in mind where mary poppins takes bert the chimney sweep's hand and they step into the <laughs> sidewalk landscape paintings on the chalk and they go into a world that's you know totally technicolor and that's the transition mm -hmm. in my mind. I know it's not here in the words. No one else will, you know, someday 100 years from now, this transcript may go in a footnote somewhere, <laughs> but uh, because no one would see that in this poem. But that's that's what came to me. <laughs> well, and it is funny that you say that, because that is, that is, I think that's an interesting word choice in that particular poem, because it does move the action elsewhere in a different kind of way. It, it changes the realm in which it's, it's located. And that description, you know, description is something you do very well, and you inhabit. And I think I've said this before, you inhabit a place when you write it. And even if it's a place, I don't know if you've ever been there, but, you know, everyone reading it would feel like it's your home. So um, well, that, you know, that comes out. The, the readers, uh, so, you know, when you read a novel and you haven't seen the movie first, which is, you know, a good way to do it. You uh, have your own image of the characters and the setting and the landscape, you know. So I think people do that with poetry, and the poet's job is to put a few clues in there, but not necessarily to describe it in a scientific clinical detail. So that's the balance that, uh, you know, 
enough specificity, but not too much, so there's room for the reader. Mm-hmm. And in in terms of room for the reader, that experience is, of course, the dialogue. You know, and it doesn't always it's not always shared. You know, the the writer writes, and the reader understands whatever the reader understands. That doesn't always make its way back to the writer. But you have had the experience of um, using Cinchcast and doing live readings. Does that change in any way that experience for you, that dialogue with the actual reader, listener? Well, I think it's a good idea for uh, poetry to be read out loud and for people to still come together, you know, in gatherings at poetry readings. And I've read in that format a few times. And then also, as you said, I've done audio recordings. It's at cinchcast.com is an easy way for me to do it without having to have my own microphone. I just record into a web-based system over the telephone. Um, I think a lot of poets now are doing video, uh, you know, YouTube or uh, different video formats and posting their poetry, so I think that's good, too. You know, some poems uh, work uh, visually on the page, and others uh, hopefully have some kind of a rhythm that is interesting and that the, the writer can bring something to in reading. Did you ever um, hear something in one of your poems that you didn't see when you were writing it and caused you to either think differently about it or rework it in some way? Um, Yeah, I think so. I think uh, reading, I think in the reworking process, I think when you're writing, uh, it is good to read and, you know, look at the line breaks and the rhythms and the way the words stick to each other or, or bump up against each other. You know, I think that's all important. I mean... You know, with free verse and and modern poetry, uh, you know, some people are turning completely away from worrying about form and sound and, you know, just trying to make poems that are either abstract or philosophical. And I think that for me, I still want to retain some aspect of poetry's roots, which is in the uh, oral tradition, even if I don't have rhyming verse. If you, when you're looking at something to read out loud, for example, not your own work, some, something you know famous or that we would all recognize. Would it be the same or different from what you would choose to read quietly, silently, you know, through a book? Oh, you know, I'm not sure uh, if I know exactly what you mean, but I think some poems are are meant to be read out loud. And you know, I think back to my elementary school days uh, many years ago when we did some choral reading as a class. We read um, Robert Frost poetry and. Uh, you know, which was simple and accessible and had a sort of a sing-song delivery when the whole, you know, class of third or fourth graders did it. But I remember, you know, in in my third grade class sitting there and having this sort of an epiphany uh, as the teacher explained about the the two roads diverged and he picked the one less traveled by. I think that's when we learned what a metaphor was. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they're, they're, uh, I think there's something to be gained in in reading poetry. I think songs and poetry are a great way, uh, a part of learning a foreign language. I, I've taught Spanish before, and I think that uh, rhymed verse is, is uh, very good uh, to recite in any language. And uh, speaking of different languages, you, you actually do sometimes write in, um, in other languages as well. And I have published some of your things that appear both in English and Spanish or with different phrasing in different languages. You have another poem um, that appears on your blog that I would like you to read for us. 
Okay, well, I can I can write and listen and appreciate French, but I don't pronounce it so well. So that's one of my uh, rules for readings: is don't don't pick something with a lot of foreign words in it. But here we go. Uh, this is called uh, Les Nymphea, Claude Monet. Now, I guess I'll just mention to the readers that the the Nymphaeus, that's the uh, water lily paintings by Monet that that probably everybody would recognize. This poem also uh, makes mention of his facades of the Rouen Cathedral, his haystack series, and also uh, one that's not so well known but was uh, being exhibited with the Monet collection in New York um, of his young wife on her deathbed. So those are all paintings that come up in the poem. Les Nymphea, Claude Monet, facade of Rouen Cathedral 30 times, each different, not stone-hard arching lines, rather color and shadow and light. Haystacks, always those two, not things themselves, but landscapes of enveloping air. Camille Monet sur son lit de mort, on her deathbed at 32, a sunset at noon, behind her pallid head, pillowed haystack, pallet-knifed snow, brush-stroke blizzard of grief that tugged his hand when his head was snow-blind. To Georges Clemenceau, he said, Ainsi de la bête qui tourne sa mule, plaignez-moi, mon ami, like the beast who turns his millstone, pity me, my friend. Every day the old man painted the lily pond at Giverny. What does it mean to write a poem every day? Words like irises, metaphors spanning the garden brook, skin to Mark's absence, the limit of light, the frontier of enveloping air. So there's a lot going on in there, and I think of yeah. old man Monet with that uh, straw sun hat on out in that garden every day painting those same water lilies over and over, and I think about what we sometimes do for our art and what it would mean to write like that every day. Why Why do you think he did that every day, that same view? Well, you know, I, I think that he just, you know, I don't know, I'm not an art historian, so... I don't know, but, you know, the Impressionist painters, I mean, the object for him was not the thing that he was painting, but just the way the light and colors combined. And so um, I think that uh, that's what he was he, he was concerned with. Hang on here. All right, so... Um, Why? Yeah. You know, I, I, that, that was, you know, kind of a new direction. That was modern art was, was concerned with... Uh, not the classical uh, uh, figure in a realistic form, but moving towards mm-hmm. just looking at the materials. And I think that's what we're doing in poetry in the last 150 years as well as we go into free verse. We're rejecting some of the classical uh, forms and you know, going into a more free expression. Mm-hmm. Do you find that to be a good thing or a bad thing? What are we missing when we give that up? That structure? Well, you know, I don't know. I think that it's good to read uh, poetry from from classical poetry and, you know, Elizabethan sonnets and and everything because it took great technical skill. And I think that artists today that are learning still learned to, you know, the the technical aspects of drawing a likeness and an outline and to learn color and shading. I think those are all the tools that you need. But I think there is something artistically liberating about rejecting some of the the confining aspects of form, if it serves the um, 
what you want to evoke through your art. So I think that the same thing Walt Whitman was doing when he got rid of rhyming verse, not that he was the originator, is what you know Monet and Renoir and and Manet and some of them were doing in in France at at you know the 1860s when they were turning their back on on classical uh, you know Renaissance style uh, uh, realism. So yeah, I think it's do a you good ever, thing. Do you ever um, start a poem in one form and then? change it up and rewrite it in a different way? Or do you always know when you're starting a poem, whatever the inspiration is, how that needs to be structured? Oh, no. Sometimes I I write, you know, I start with a little spark of inspiration and I start writing and then I circle back to the beginning after I've gotten to the end. And sometimes I change the the line breaks and the structure or the lack of structure. And a lot of my poems are in uh, uh, stanzas of, of, you know, two or three or four lines and uh no i think um you know uh the the poem sort of evolves and it takes its form and, you know as it's writing itself yeah yeah i don't start off and say this is going to be a, a 14 line poem you know necessarily right. yeah interesting um tell us a little bit about where you get your inspiration from and this is a long list i know but i want to hear it <laughs> Well, you know, it can be just anywhere. It can be, you know, something I hear on the radio or a scene I see in nature, or the way my dogs are acting when we're out, you know, running in in the in the fields or, you know, um this uh uh this uh Claude Monet was I saw the painting in the um uh an article in Harper's magazine a few months ago. So, you know, sometimes I pick up little tidbits in there if they evoke some emotion in me then you know that's my connection to the to the work that I can start start working from so I'm kind of a collector yeah I I kind of uh, when something pick I pick it up on my radar then I I tuck it away and try to remember it and then I try to write it down and it, we have mentioned before that you do write on uh, notebooks and then you put that onto a computer later in the day later in the game later in the process you don't start out on that keyboard. You start out on on a notebook. Yeah, I think I usually I do. You know, I don't know. I imagine most people do, but maybe I'm wrong. I may be, you know, it may be a generational thing. Maybe maybe most poets today are are texting their poems, you know, on their little handheld devices. I can't even imagine. But yeah, I do. I start. I, you know, carry notebooks around with me, kind of old fashioned. <laughs> Um, I hope you never find yourself without a pen, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, well, you can always borrow one from the waitress and start writing on a napkin, so there you go. <laughs> we are all out of time. I would love for you to give the listeners your your blog address, please. Sure, um, raysharp.wordpress.com. And you can find a bunch of his stuff there. He's got pages and pages of it. You can also find him at Vox Poetica. And now uh, coming soon to Astro Poetica, just a quick update on that. Ray, do you want to tell everyone about that? Oh, yeah, I do have a poem in uh, that's that's going to be published soon in an online magazine. It's kind of a, a, uh, a you know, I guess a niche magazine. It's called Astro Poetica. So they actually have poems that have to do something with space exploration or, or related theme. So yeah, I'm going to be published there. I submitted a year ago and it's finally going to publish. So, um got to be Yay. patient. Yeah, and it's called 
uh, I don't know what it's called. We changed the title a few times, like Water on the Moon, I think. <laughs> so another, and, um, yes, it's another love poem. Yeah. All poems are either about love or death, one way or another. Or both. Yeah. <laughs> you can also find Ray's work at Eclectic Flash, Caper Journal, Referential, Quartz Luna. You can see him in a lot of places. In fact, you can probably just Google him and get something turned up there. Um, so thank you so much for being with us today, Ray. This is the first time you've ever been on the show. It's been solely your your um, episode, which I feel kind of bad about considering you are my first you know, unsolicited contributors. So I feel like that's a long time overdue. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. I appreciate it. And um, keep up the good work there with Unbound Content and Vox Poetica. You guys keep me busy with plenty of stuff to put out. So, um, I, you know, I need that because I have all this time on my hands. Me and my assistant editor over here who is sleeping soundly at my side, all curled up in an orange ball of cat fat. Yuck. <laughs> All right. I think that wraps up our, our cold February um, episode. Uh, thank you, Ray. Looking forward to reading more of your work. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. I'll be back next week, and um, I'll have all kinds of news and other stuff to talk about. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs>